Welcome to the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services In Conversations with podcast series on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Hello, everyone. Welcome to UBS On Air. My name is Judy Spaltoff, and I have the pleasure of leading the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team here at UBS. The mission of our group is to serve as a thought partner for exceptional families. We understand that our clients' needs extend beyond the purely financial, so we take a strategic and sustainable approach to managing their wealth for continuity. We work with our clients to get to the heart of what's important to them and help align their passions with charitable giving opportunities that achieve their philanthropic goals. An important step in identifying where our passions lie and how to meet our goals is to learn from others and hear success stories from other passionate philanthropists, like today's guest, Sarah Darren. Sarah is the founder and chief executive officer of Experience Camps a nonprofit organization that provides transformative experiences for grieving children, primarily through their one-week overnight summer camp. Sarah received her MBA from Columbia University and spent 12 years in IT before discovering her true purpose at the intersection of grief and play. She now uses her business background and love of camp to lead this rapidly growing organization with the belief that every grieving child deserves a rich life with possibility. Sarah, thank you for joining me today. Let's get started. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Um, so let's start with the pretty obvious question. Tell us more about Experience Camps and why does it exist? So Experience Camps are at, at the core. They're free one-week overnight summer camps for kids who have had a parent, sibling, or primary caregiver that died. Um, when you when you arrive at camp, it pretty much looks like any other camp that you you've ever been to, right? If, if you've been to camp before, um, there is playing, there's basketball that you can you know you can hear the cheers and and songs out in the distance. There's swimming, s'mores, all of the typical traditional summer camp things. Um, but what is underlying this week of camp and the, the multiple weeks of camp we have now across the country? is that everyone there has been through something similar. They've all been through a significant death loss in their lives, um, whether it happened in some cases before they were even born or whether it happened months ago. Um, there's something that every kid there can relate to with someone else there. And there's something incredibly powerful about that experience of being around other kids who get it. Um, grief can be very isolating, and most kids will tell you that they feel very alone in it. So they come to camp and, you know, as you, as you shared in the introduction, it's sort of, it's the intersection of grief and play. You know, we start with play. We start with camp and the joy of childhood. And that allows kids to peel back their layers, those protective layers that have been built up around their grief to get back to childhood, but also to open up to other kids who are there to share their story, to hear other kids' stories, and to really begin to relate and normalize their experience of grief. Um, so, so that's kind of the, the core of what we do. And beyond that, you know, we're, we're still supporting kids and caregivers in the, in what we call the off season, you know, the weeks between camp each summer. Um, and also really participating in this movement to create awareness for childhood grief to make sure that people understand what kids need beyond camp, beyond the, the beautiful bubble of camp so that when kids return home or when, you know, for kids who don't get to come to camp, that there is a world around them that supports them and normalizes grief in the same way that we do at camp. So like, just, I guess, paint the picture for people. What would a typical day at camp look like for these children? So a typical day, I'll tell you my, my favorite moment of camp every single year is, is the bus arrival. So I'll start there. Um, we have the kids all come together. They all arrive on the bus together so that 
they are kind of starting this journey together through the week of camp. And most of them, you know, especially the kids who haven't been there before, although a lot do return, but you see the kids and I always love watching the ones who haven't been there before because they kind of slowly creep off the bus. Their shoulders are up by, up by their ears. They're so tense. And they're like, what am I doing? I'm at grief camp. Like, this is going to be terrible. I'm going to spend the whole week crying and feeling sad. And they have this right. expectation. And that someone sent me here that I didn't want to, maybe I didn't want to come. Yeah. Something like that. 100% yeah. of kids will tell you they didn't want to come to camp. Right? Like their parents had to right. push them on, their caregiver had to push them on that bus. Yeah. But they, they, you know, slowly climb down from the bus when they get to camp. And they are met by this incredibly energetic, loud, cheering, music blaring dance party when they get to camp of all the volunteers and all the staff that are there to greet them. And you can literally see the shoulders start to come down. You can see like the, the smile start to creep up a little bit and you, you just see this recognition in their faces of like, Oh, this is going to be okay. This is going to be good. So that's where it starts. It starts with energy. Like I said, it starts with play. It starts with joy and we kind of roll from there. So get them off the bus we, and we start into activities. It's not like, you know, they, they don't come off and start talking about grief right away. Although some might, you know, once they realize that that's an option. Um, but we really just get right into the camp routine. And that can be, you know, again, heading over to basketball to start shooting hoops, um, heading down to creative and, and making bracelets, whatever it is. There's a million different camp activities that the kids participate in. Um, so we, we start with that. The, the first full day of camp, you know, they're going to wake up, go to breakfast, come back, clean up their bunks, um, you know, make their beds, do all those things that, that every kid should be doing at camp. And then they're going to go into um, the morning period. So there's three different periods in the morning. Uh, they might go to, let's say, volleyball, uh, ceramics, and then one of the periods in the morning is going to be a clinical period, a bereavement period. One of the, So the first day, for instance, is a sharing circle. And this is really their first time where they're going to come together and have the opportunity to share their story, share some memories, and, and as importantly, hear other kids' stories. They're going to be able to, you know, again, for the ones that have been there for the first time, in some cases, this is the only time or the first time that they've heard other kids like them share a story about loss or about grief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as important as it, as it is to say the words for their own story, also hearing those words from someone else, you see the head start to nod, right? Like the, I felt that way too, or that happened to me too, or, you know, whatever it is that they're able to recognize similarities and feel less alone. So the week kind of proceeds like that. Like there's, you know, the, the bugle call goes after a sharing circle and they're off and running. They're like, yay, free swim. And they're, they're off to the next thing. Well, of course, the adults are kind of a puddle on the floor of like, oh, my gosh, that was heavy. The kids are able to so beautifully move through and move into a new phase. And that's, that's what's amazing about camp. It's that, that, again, that intersection of grief and play. But it's also their inherent ability to move between the, the different aspects of grief. And there is the other side. It's a yin and a yang. You can, you can feel the grief and the joy at the same time. And giving kids permission at camp to do that, um, it, it helps them developmentally. But again, it helps them normalize. It helps them find their way back to childhood and all of the developmental things that should happen um, during those formative years. So that happens. You know, they, they run off to their next activity. They come back. They have lunch. Um, the afternoon is, is really usually spent again, more activities, but often, uh, there's a, there's an activity we do called college league. Um, some camps would call it a color war. It's kind of a, 
all camp competitive activity. And it's just another one of those highlights. It's belonging to a team within the, within the camp. Um, it's the energy, it's competition, it's fun, and it's, it's just belonging. Um, and that's so much of what the experience of camp is about is feeling like you found your people and belonging somewhere in these little, you know, within the whole camp context, but also within these smaller groups, whether it's your bunk, your college league team, you know, your unit, your age group, all these different ways that you can feel like you belong. But the underlying current is that you belong because you're all part of this same terrible club, but you're part of the club together. And there's something really healing and amazing about that. So just for for clarity, what are the ages of the kids who come to experience camp? So our camps start with kids going into fourth grade. So that's usually eight or nine years old. And they go up until they graduate high school. Um, So 12th grade, around 17 years old. Um, From there, so our last two years of camp are our leadership and training program. And then they can take a year off, come back for our young adult grief retreat, which is kind of that in-between year and then we invite them back to be counselors. So there is something really amazing about that as well when kids can come back, grow up at camp, and then be able to give back by kind of passing it down to the next, you know, the next generation of campers and, you know, being the ones who are the supporters rather than the supportees um, in the way that that sort of evolves for them. And there's, you know, that, that's just another part of their, their healing and their journey is being able to give back, right, to make some lemonade out of those lemons and be able to do something really positive with their experience of grief by, by helping younger kids. And you even see that as the kids are growing up at camp, even before they become counselors, you always see the bigger kids kind of putting their arms around the younger kids at a campfire when, when there's emotions. And um, that's also just another beautiful part of it where there's this sort of inter-age support network that you don't often find, you know, whether it's in school or in your general communities, you don't often find like a 10 year old and a 15 year old hanging out together. Um, right. But here, you know, there, there is that sort of um, that nurturing and that, that bond. Yeah. And then, and they can keep in touch long after, you know, they leave the second exactly. site. That's amazing. So what should people know specifically about childhood grief? Well, I think, I think what people don't realize is how, <clears throat> excuse me, how prevalent childhood grief is. Um, in our country, there are, 5.2 million grieving children, people who, kids who have lost a significant family member, significant person in their lives before the age of 18. And that was even before COVID. Um, just today, actually, there was an article that was sort of predicting based on the numbers of, um, of people that have died from COVID that there's an additional 40,000 grieving children, who people who have lost a, a parent specifically. And that doesn't even take into account grandparents and just people you know, and just all of the grief that has surrounded us in the last year. Um, But it's very prevalent. And yet every kid I've ever talked to says they feel very alone in their grief. So it's kind of amazing and unfortunate that there's, you know, five more, more than 5 million grieving children, yet they don't know each other. And I think why that is, is because people don't talk about it. You know, it's, it's sort of this taboo subject in our society, whether it's adult grief or childhood grief, but it, especially for childhood grief, for children, they, they kind of get not pushed aside, but it, it like tiptoed around, um, especially with their peers, because kids are awkward. They don't know what to say when someone dies and kids kind of pull themselves into this isolating bubble. Adults really don't know what to do with them. They want them to, they want it to look a certain way. Um, but I think what people need to know is that every child, every adult grieves 
differently. There's, there's individuality in the grief process, and it doesn't have to look a certain way. Not every child is going to cry, right? Not every child is going to bounce back. And there's a long, very long journey of grief. It just, it keeps going. There's no end point to it. And I think people need to continue, stay the course with a child, even with an adult, in recognizing their grief, in acknowledging it, um, in saying the word, and just, you know, at the very root of it, just talking about grief, allowing kids to feel what they're going to feel, be able to say it out loud, and being given permission that what they feel and say is okay. It's okay to feel this way. It's okay not to cry. It's okay to cry. Um, you know, whatever it is, that that it's normal and it's okay for them to do that. Even if it's a year, five years, 10 years after a person dies, that it keeps going. And that's okay too. You're going to find these different milestones along the way, or even just minute by minute, day by day, um, these moments that pop up that make it hard. And I think by people recognizing that, um, it makes a child's experience with grief a whole lot better. So you said 5 million children are grieving right now? More than 5 million. I mean, this was 5.2 million. million grieving the loss of someone significant before the pandemic. So you can imagine okay. the additional loss that has come from that. Um, so, you know, you said children can be awkward and I would, you know, I think for sure we can place adults in the awkward stage. It is difficult, right, to support someone um, who's grieving. And I know I've, I can attest to being awkward myself, right? Just not knowing what to say, not knowing how to show up and be there. What advice do you have for people, you know, who are, who are, who are attempting to support grieving children or adults? Um, great question. And, and I think this really applies, like you said, to children and adults, because that's, you know, adults can be as awkward as, as you mentioned, as children are in just yeah. not knowing what to do. Well, intentioned, but. Well, always well-intentioned, but they, people can say the, the things that are so wrong in that moment. But I also think that that's what, what hinders people from saying anything because they're afraid to say the wrong thing. They're afraid. We hear all the time for somebody, especially with, you know, somebody who had a loss a, a while back that they're like, well, I don't want to mention, I don't want to bring up that person's name because I don't want them to have to think about it. And, and the grieving person will always tell you, I was already thinking about it. So, right. you know, I think one thing to know is, is to lean into that person's grief to support them. Ask the questions, ask about their person, say their name, um, just say something, you know, whether it's in the immediate aftermath of a loss or, or years later, acknowledging the loss can be so comforting for the person It makes, you know, it helps them understand or know that, that that person has not been forgotten. And I think a lot of times adults and children can often feel like, you know, after the, after the funeral and the services and the meals and all of that stops, no, maybe like a month in, that they're still carrying the weight of all this grief and it can feel like the world goes on without them. So anybody around them that can sort of bring it back to like, I see you, I get you, I know that this is still there, I'm still thinking about that person too, um, can be incredibly comforting. For a child, you know, to have even in an adult in their life that says, Hey, you know, I, I knew your mom and I would love to tell you some stories about her. So it keeps it fresh in your mind. And also just so you can, so we can acknowledge that that person is, is important still. Um, it's, you know, again, it comes down to, to talking about it, but to leaning into those uncomfortable situations to, we call it sitting in the muck, right? Like go and sit in the muck with that person be uncomfortable with that person because there's a lot of pain around that. There's a lot of pain around grief 
And people tend to want to lean away from that. It makes them uncomfortable. It makes them awkward, as we said. Um, leaning towards it can be so incredibly helpful. Um, and just, you know, acknowledging, sending cards, sending meals. This is especially when something, when a loss has just happened. Um, just show up for that person. Show up for the ceremonies, the services, the memorials. Um, you know, put a note on your calendar a month later to call and check in. You know, don't let that person feel forgotten in their grief because they're still carrying it days, weeks, months, yeah. years later. Um, so just being a, a, a grief friend um, can be really helpful and, and a grief leader in the community to encourage others to do the same. Um, you know, if you are somebody who has a business and you have um, you have decision-making over policy and you know, bereavement policy and leave, et cetera, um, you know, grief in the workplace is a whole other category of a time that needs to be acknowledged, giving people the space to process their grief, not expecting people to just get right back to it and, you know, start producing work again, you know, minutes after the funeral is over. It's just, again, just acknowledging it, being aware of how people are feeling in the, in the long aftermath of a loss. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, it's such great um, such great advice, very practical. Um, I think, you know, I, I think death and money are the, you know, share or fight for the top spot for the most taboo topic, right? Um, we're so afraid to talk about either. And they're both so, such a vital and such re- realistic parts of our everyday. Um, so it's, it's, you just thank you for the reminder that it's okay to put yourself in a vulnerable spot and talk about the thing that they're surely thinking about. So, um, you, and of course, Sarah, you know that I have a dear friend who, you know, lost a husband a few years ago and she has three children. And, you know, this has um, been really helpful for me to sort of try and be an even better friend to her and show up for her. So thank you. Um, so, I mean, I think we, I, I suspect people are curious um, and uh, people, especially after COVID, do know people who may benefit from learning more about um about experience camp. So how can people learn more? So glad you asked. Um, well, the first place to go would be our website, which is experiencecamps.org. Um, we have a lot of resources listed there. We also have resources uh, connected to other organizations, such as the NAGC, National Alliance of Grieving Children, um, which has lists of local bereavement centers and therapists, et cetera, all around the country um, for people who are looking for that kind of support. And, you know, like I said, there's, there is Every every person's grief experience is so individual, and especially for children, every child needs something different. Not every child needs therapy. In fact, most probably don't. Um, what they really need is somebody to talk to them, other peers who understand them. So looking for peer support groups, um, you know, camps like ours, et cetera, there's a lot of different options out there to create this sort of grief support tapestry of all the different things that, that somebody might need. But it's so important to find out, especially for children, what they do need. You know, rather than assuming as adults that we know what they need, um, kind of let them let them lead. Let them show the way of uh, the, the types of things that they're looking for. Put different options in front of them. And again, on our website, you can see a lot of those options and be connected to other resources that are, that are helpful, including articles and just, you know, how to talk to a kid about grief, how to talk to an adult about grief, 
Um, what happens when there's grief in the media, right? Like that's another form of, of grief that we've seen a lot lately, especially with COVID and with a lot of the events in the news that sort of create this sense of discomfort that it's hard to identify what's happening in your body when that's when you're reading these things. And it's, yeah. yeah, that's grief too. There's this communal or collective grief that you can feel based on the world around you. Um, so, you know, again, looking for those resources and, and acknowledging that that is what it is, that there's a name for it. And it's, it is a normal reaction to loss, but it is one that requires support, requires some attention, um, requires people to talk about it and, and just get real about, about grief, about death and dying and loss and all of those uncomfortable topics that we can make more comfortable because it is the only thing we can guarantee is going to happen in our lives, right? It's going to happen at some point to any, to everybody. So, you know, acknowledging it is so important as a society. Well, um, I am so grateful um, that we were, we've been connected and that we were able to talk today. Um, it's, it's really been informative and, and pleasurable to learn more about um, experience camps and what you do. And I, I don't know what the heck you were doing in IT for 12 years, but uh, I think, I think <laughs> it wasn't a great fit, all, to be honest. <laughs> I think we can all agree that this is your calling and, um, you know, the world is, is in a better place because you found this, you know, found, found experience camps and have been able to do this for so many, so many families. Um, I know I'm grateful to have learned about it and I'm sure you know everyone listening is as well. Um, so thank you so much. Um, I, I'm truly inspired. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting me share what we do with others. That's kind of how we, how we make the grief world go round. The more people that know, the better able we are to, to support others. So I really appreciate the time. Of course. Thank you so much. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.